0: <clears throat> okay, Reggie, we ready to go? All right. <clears throat> Put it in the books, episode 318. Ready to go? I am. Let's just, uh, let's, let's not delay. All right, let's just get going here. All right. Studio time is precious. <laughs> all right. I'll give you the three S's in the countdown. And give me the music of your podcast. Jimmy Crack Corn and I don't care, right? Okay, here we go. Star Smile Strong. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast, We are there. Don't forget to subscribe and rate this podcast. More importantly, get out there and spread the word. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podcast, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. And you never know, it just might be in your stocking come the holidays, in appreciation of it. But don't count it. <laughs> If you like what you hear, don't forget and go to the uh, WGNRadio.com website, hit the prompt for podcasts, hit the prompt for this podcast, Elton Jim's Captain Podcast, and you will find more than you can count, or so it would seem, of previous podcasts ready for you to binge on. Get out your popcorn, get out your Doritos, whatever your favorite snack is, and just Put your headphones on or just hit play and go nuts. There's 317 previous podcasts for your enjoyment. So welcome to 318. Episode 318. Whoa, what's all that? What's all that, Reg? Can you take that out in, uh, in post-production? <laughs> Ah, no, I just leave it and it 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 adds to the to the feel. Somebody must have a computer on somewhere anyway, here we are, episode three eighteen. how are you doing, folks? Thank you for hitting play and uh, listening in the past and right now. Don't forget yesterday was then. Today is now. Write that on your mirror. Keep that one. That might be a good one. I just made that one up too. I don't know if you can tell. I was talking about my voice the last couple of uh, of weeks. Last week I was telling you about how I was dealing with some voice problems. My instrument feels really good today. I don't know if you can tell, even from the beginning of the podcast. At the beginning, when I first started the introduction, I went, "Hey, uh, uh, e, uh, 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 bruh, peep, I'm just doing all this, these vocal calisthenics today. My instrument in fine form, it's, it's, it's felt the best. It's feeling the best right now that it has felt in, um, in a while. I would say at least two weeks or so. Certainly a week. No doubt about a week and a half or so. It's been a while. It's, it, well, I'm trying to think now. Let's see. What's today? It's been almost two weeks since the play ended, and it was a week before the play. So it's been about two or three weeks that I was having a little vocal, vocal stress. And, hey, I don't know if you saw the... Um, the news in the last uh, couple of weeks or so, but uh, this vocal thing, this vocal rest, uh, for those of us who who make a living or at least do whatever we do with our voices, um, it's it's no um, it's no laughing matter. Did you see that the uh, the formerly the Dixie Chicks now just the Chicks because Dixie is uh, considered a um, an offensive term now. So they are just The the Chicks with La- Natalie Maines, the lead singer, and uh, they just did a show recently. They just started up another tour that had been, been delayed two years or so because of COVID, as so many bands' tours have been. So they finally hit the road, and they were doing a show in Indianapolis a couple of weeks ago, and they were about only 30 minutes into the show, and uh, Natalie Maines, uh, her voice, the lead singer, she just, whatever was going on, whatever she had a problem with, she could not go on and uh, and that was it. They cut the show short, and they canceled a few other shows and um, after that and it was funny. I mean, I was reading about this because I obviously uh, given my vocal uh difficulties over the last couple of weeks, uh, this certainly resonated with me, and I was reading more detail about it, and uh, there there was the term that I used, folks, if you go back. And listen to the podcast of last week. I mentioned the term vocal rest, that I was on vocal rest. And sure enough, in one of the articles, at least that I saw, according to doctor's orders, Natalie Maines was on vocal rest. So that's a real thing. And it is serious. And so I'm sure um, that if I would have gone to see a doctor with the uh, the way my throat was while I continued to do the f- the final five shows I bet you that the doctor's recommendation would have been to not do those shows and to be on vocal rest um but since they but I don't know I mean in terms of and certainly in terms of 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 curing that that would have been the best advice, knowing that there were only five shows left. I mean, in this case, they, they're putting Natalie Maines on vocal rest so she can get her voice back so she can continue the tour. My run of the shows, I only had five left. So perhaps the doctor would have said, okay, you might, you might be able to do it, but take it easy and, and take these precautions. So I feel fairly confident that what I did, I did not seek medical attention, uh, professional medical attention. But um, I believe that what I did was, was correct and safe because as I said now, I, my voice feels very strong uh, and I'm not feeling any ill effects. So um, thankfully, my voice is back. But yeah, that, uh, that voice thing is a real, uh, it's a real problem. So I remember I went to see a, a Who show several years ago, probably 20 years ago now. And I could tell from the first song that this was going to be a problem, that this show was going to have a problem, because Roger Daltrey's voice was so raspy, and it, he was struggling to hit notes from the first song, and The Who typically does a, a two-hour a two show, if not more, and many of those classic Who songs, those are not easy songs to sing. Those are very powerfully delivered. Many times they have loud screeches or screams built within the songs that Daltrey did 50 years ago as a young man and trying to recreate those screams and that emotion that are part of the song. In some, ti- in some, in some cases... The, the the trademark of those songs, like and won't get fooled again, there is a classic yell. Uh oh! you know, I mean that's that's part of the song. And uh, you know, other songs like Love Rain or Me uh are are very, very difficult uh songs to sing, uh just by the the the, 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 the notes And as I said before, so much of the the screaming, the release, there's so much energy and power in many of the Who's songs, and Daltrey certainly um, expressed that to the the limit when he recorded those songs, and he has done that when he performs those songs. Um, And this was 20 years ago when he was in his mid-50s, and now even more to the point that after that tour, um, if you ever if you see the who now uh have you know for for insurance purposes uh they have to he can't he cannot perform in any way shape or form in between uh you know who shows if there's a 2 day break he cannot perform anywhere else um because he he will not have a voice and um and even in that show sure enough about halfway through if not even halfway through They were in the middle of singing, you better, you better, you bet. And his voice just disappeared. It was gone. It was gone. (laughs) And he walked off the stage. And so they finished the song, and then Pete Townsend looked around and said, okay, well, I've never sang this song. This is a song Roger is always saying, but I'm going to give it a shot here. And they did a version of one of their classics, one of their anthems. They have so many of them. And uh, they did My Generation with Pete Townsend on lead vocal. And that's a very short song, two or three minutes probably at tops, three and change. But they extended it to about 10 or 15 minutes with guitar solos and everything to give Roger a chance to come back, which he did. And uh, I'm not sure what they did. I heard later that they may have actually even given him a, a, a steroid shot. And and from what I was reading, it sounds like L- Natalie Maines got a steroid shot. She must have been feeling some some problems with her voice before that show in Indianapolis a few weeks ago started because it sounds like she during the show, the 30 minutes that they played, she made some reference to uh, you know I'm waiting for this this shot to kick in, so she may have gotten some kind of an injection of a steroid into her throat before the concert. So she must have been having some throat problems to begin with before the show started. And then just figure well let me now that I got this shot let's let's go out there because you know steroids are there to to bring down inflammation, and uh, and from what I understand, what I heard through the grapevine was that perhaps that night uh with Roger Daltrey that's what happened that he got some kind of a a steroid injection backstage when he walked off and that's why they were giving they extended that version of uh my generation to give that injection some time to take to take hold and it did he was able to finish the show and he certainly but he was certainly struggling, and he, he and he hit some of the high notes, but he certainly didn't hit them with the same gusto he probably would have. But he got through the show. But I could tell from the beginning, and I am always sensitive that because I've had some throat problems in the past. But uh, But that's not what I want to talk about today. I talked about throat problems last week. But once again, this goes to show you, what I talk about here has a shelf life. It doesn't just go away. And when I talked about the throat problems last week within that time from when the, the, the podcast posted until now, here's a, a story about throat problems, a high-profile singer with throat problems going on vocal rest just like Elton Jim did. Didn't, But the trooper that I am, the show must-go-on kind of guy that I am, I did not call in sick. I had another study too. So I certainly could have, but uh, that's not me. I, I'm, I'm used to playing hurt. I played baseball and football and basketball uh, throughout my, my you know, sports career, whatever you want to call it, in high school. And uh, I, I got hurt several times, especially in baseball as a catcher. Uh, you don't realize how many times a catcher in a baseball game gets hurt because the ball you know you you 're constantly getting foul tips off your toes and your your legs and and in your crotch area or your and, you know your off your mask you get rattled or on your chest with the, even though you have a chest protector somebody 's throwing the ball you know ninety miles an hour and that thing gets 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 fouled off and hits you it 's going to hurt and so uh believe me i had um, I had my share of bumps and bruises. That uh, you just had to walk off. So uh, and in football too, I was a fullback. So I, used, I and and uh, on defense as well, linebacker. So I certainly got my bell rung and and, and tried to ring other people's bells sometimes. And uh, you know you 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 get you get a shoulder or an arm or a knee or a leg or a thigh or you get hit somewhere and you know you just walked it off. You you walk the, the walked it off. Even baseball, you get hit by a pitch. You know. That's something that people don't really, (laughs) I don't think the average fan who's ever played baseball really appreciates. When you get hit by a pitch, oh, I mean, I get hit by a pitch, and once again, I was talking about high school and and a little few years so after high school in different leagues. But, uh, But there were guys throwing 90 miles an hour, certainly in the high 80s. And I'm sorry, but if you get hit, I don't care where it hits you. There's, when you talk about the fleshy part of something, that doesn't matter. There's a, this hard ball that's being thrown only 60 feet away from you. Well, 60 feet say that six inches, right? But uh, at, at, at 85 or 90 miles an hour, and it hits your thigh or your knee or your back or your elbow or your forearm... Hopefully, it's it's a body part like that. It's not your head. I, I I don't think I ever. I've certainly got hit in the helmet. I never got hit, thankfully. You know, under the helmet where it you know it was seriously like a concussion or something like that. Some ballplayers have been hit in the face, which has got to just be devastating. But you know, sometimes a guy gets hit in the, in the shoulder or hit in the leg or hit in the thigh, and you know he runs over to first base, and and we don't make much of a deal. I mean, you know, the the trainer comes out and with some kind of a obligatory kind of thingy, okay, and the, and the guy usually waves him off. But I'll tell you, especially in a major league player where the pitchers are throwing 90 and 95 as a rule, that guy is hurting right there. And it doesn't hurt just because he walked over to first base. His thigh is hurting wherever it hit him, on his butt, on his thigh, on his leg, on his shin, on his ankle, uh, on his elbow, on his forearm, on his back. Know, one of his shoulders, wherever he gets hit, uh, that hurts. And it hurts for a while. It doesn't just go away. And once again, the player may not show it to you uh, physically, outwardly, but that player is in pain. And no doubt there will be a huge bruise that w- that player will have wherever he gets hit by a pitch uh, for for a good, three or four days if not a week. I mean I've had some I got when i I, I got hit sometimes where you could see the, the the imprint of the lace of the baseball on your skin. Along with the welt, the huge welt and the huge black and blue mark that, that was that was there for three or four days. That hurt. So I got news for you. Yeah, I mean you know baseball is not so much of a contact sport. It's not certainly like football but, uh, you know, once again, you have a projectile being thrown in your direction only 60 feet away and you only have a couple of seconds to react. It's not, a, you know, they always say that hitting a baseball is one of the, if not the hardest things in sports, because especially if a guy's throwing upwards of 90 miles an hour and sometimes 100 miles an hour, uh, they are so close, 60 feet, that that ball is, is coming at you that you only have literally one or two seconds To, to react, to decide where it is and swing the bat and then hit it. And it's the same thing. If you get hit, you have that same amount of time to decide that, whoa, this pitch is coming at my head or it's coming inside at my body somewhere. And I'm going to try to get out of the way. Or if I'm, if I can't get out of the way because it's so fast and I'm, I'm I'm not picking up, I want to get, I want to turn my back so it will hit some fleshy part of my body and not a bone, and you have that same second and a half to react to that of, uh-oh, I'm going to get hit by a ball here. Forget about swinging the bat and hitting it. I'm going to get physically hit by this ball, and how can I either get out of the way or how can I minimize the injury that I'm going to undoubtedly get when this this ball comes hits my body? So, uh, ouch is all I have to say. But that is not what I want to talk about at all. I mean, I'm looking at my script here. <laughs> I'm looking at the script for uh, episode 318 and nowhere on here is it really even talking about throat problems or getting hit by a baseball. <laughs> but once again, as I'm saying, I'm just little just doing a little doing a little follow-up to last week's to show just how you know, how on the edge, cutting edge, this, this podcast is. You were probably looking at that podcast like week and saying, well, what's the big, oh, poor Elton Jim. He's complaining about a sore throat. Oh, he, oh, poor guy. And he's going on and on about what he did to, to get his voice back. You know, who can relate to that? And within a week, a major star had a similar situation and had to cancel shows. Always right on the edge of news. This podcast is always relevant. And so that's what I think hopefully today's topic is going to be relevant for you too. But I did not intend on talking about sore throats or getting hit by baseballs. But it was interesting and fun. At least I thought it was. And now we circle back to what we really wanted to talk about. Actually, talking about the sports angle is a little in the realm. But what I, it, it, this is not really a sports oriented topic. I will use sports as the springboard, but I think there's a bigger issue going on, uh, right now. So if you're, if you're not a sports fan, don't shut it off. Don't shut the podcast off because I'm using sports as a springboard to a, a bigger topic. Okay. So just giving you a little, just giving you a little, a little hint. look at, as I look at my script, it says, explain this is not sports-oriented. There'll be a little talk about sports. I have to because I'm using it as a springboard. But my bigger point um, really has little to do about sports. But I, I think it is relevant uh, because this is in the news right now. And I, ironically, this, while you consider this a sports story to some extent, it also has cultural implications, too, which makes this an interesting topic. But I'm going to take it even a step further into a uh, to an area that I have not heard anybody really talking about yet not sure if you've been reading about this or casually hearing about it even if you're not a sports fan it is it may have come up on your on your radar screen while you were scrolling through different news sites or something you just may have seen a headlines at the very least but there's quite a, a big controversy going now going on in the game of golf there is a rival league to rival the PGA, the Professional Golfers Association, which is basically a monopoly. They oversee uh, the major tournaments and the tournaments of golf. It's not a league per se, like baseball. There's you know, or something like that. It's a, it's a, it's a loosely based kind of. Organization, the PGA, but it's it, and it is because it's a monopoly. There's no other league in town until now. Until now, <laughs> you know, in today's uh, economy and today's business world, um, you may have heard the term disruptor. That's the big term. I'm surprised it's still around. Uh, it was certainly. a a big buzzword in the corporate-speak world uh, about five or six years ago or seven years ago. Disruptor, meaning a company that would come in and shake up the status quo, disrupt the normalcy. And mostly, so in other words, an example of a disruptor in the business world would would be uh, Uber or Lyft. They disrupted the accepted and established world of the taxicab business, which, to, while regulated, uh, and there were several different cab companies, but it was kind of the only game in town. You either rented a car or you took a cab, right? If you wanted to get somewhere with an automobile, you either rented a car and drove yourself you took public transportation if you were in a city, or if you're visiting, especially a tourist, you jumped into a cab. And so the cab business was, a, was fairly lucrative because it was a quasi-monopoly in many ways. Even though there were different companies, that was the one mode of operation. And along came Uber and then Lyft and some other ride-sharing companies that disrupted the status quo by saying, wait, wait, there's a better way to do this, potentially. Or there's another way to do this. And they certainly have had a huge impact on, on you know, they, will, they coined the term ride-sharing, right? Um, so disruptors in today's business world uh, you want to be a disruptor. You want to disrupt the status quo, which means you're, a little, you're an up-and-coming upstart, a new idea to an old problem, to, you know, to shake the apple cart, to disrupt the status quo. And that uh, certainly is uh, was something, and is something still, but was well, five, six years ago, that many tech companies were looking to do, looking at the old economy companies that had either strangleholds on certain areas of business, or certainly had quasi-monopolies in a corporate cap- capitalistic uh, business world here in the United States, especially... And these disruptors said, "We've got a better way to do something." And most of the time, it involved technology to improve on the old system. Disruptors—you want to disrupt—that's the buzzword, and I, I, I still I still hear people in the corporate world use it. So it's still uh, it's still the goal. There may be something in a few years that will replace it, but for right now, it looks like disrupting is still the goal for a for an upstart company and so a a new disruptor in the sports world is a alternative golf league called the LIV which actually stands for the roman numerals of 54 LIV they call it the LIV everybody thinks that it's it's that stands for something with to live but it's actually the roman numeral for 54 l is 50 and i and v is four and it refers to the number of golfers in this new league to start out with 54 golfers apparently And they also play 54 holes instead of, um, instead of the usual 72 holes that a PGA tournament plays. The tournament plays Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 18 holes, four rounds, four times 18, 72. In this new league, they play 54 holes and the controversy is first of all the PGA has never been challenged has never had a competitive league has never had a disruptor they've 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 been the only game in town all the major tournaments you hear about even if you're not a big golfer i'm sure you've heard about the masters or the 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 british open which is now just called the open and recently a few weeks ago there was the uh, the US Open and there's the PGA ter- uh, Championship those are the four majors uh but uh the PGA has had a monopoly on golf and if you want to be a professional golfer especially in the United States uh you join the PGA and that's where you make your living there are these major tournaments with these major purses but then there are every week there's another tournament somewhere and you go out there and you uh you, you play for your money, and sometimes you, and they have a cut. If you, if you play that first two rounds, and if you don't get a certain score, you miss the cut, and you are not allowed to play the last two weeks. So obviously your pay is less. Sometimes it's nothing. But there's this new league that is disrupting the status quo for the PGA, that uh, is challenging its superiority, its monopoly, if you will. But there's also some cultural significance and some cultural controversy to this. Not just that there's, for the first time, some alternate, at least in the modern day, some alternate golf league that is disrupting the status quo of the golf world and the PGA's dominance in it. There's a cultural and a political, you can argue, I suppose, controversy because this new league is sponsored by Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia, as many of you know, has a history of, uh, very serious civil and human rights violations, executing people, um, not giving women any freedoms or rights, whether it's the ability to drive for women or the ability to go to school. In the 21st century, the Saudi Arabian culture is steeped in religious beliefs that date back thousands of years, and it is ultra-conservative, and the government is a theocracy ruled by the rule of religion. To govern the people and uh, and many of these these long held religious beliefs are rooted in beliefs that that were first espoused as I said before thousands of years ago, and as we all know uh, throughout history, the role of women especially has been uh, more subservient to men, and that's the way those Middle Eastern countries still run today, and Saudi Arabia is certainly one of the leading companies thanks to all of its oil money. And there's been some controversy over the last several years. The Saudi government uh, allegedly, they still, they still deny it to some extent, uh, murdered a journalist in broad daylight. Uh, he was kidnapped and never seen again because he was critical of the government. And um, a lot of questionable human rights and civil rights violations that we here in the United States view as unacceptable. And so the reason why this new league, the LIV League of Golf, is controversial is not only because it is uh, testing the superiority and the dominance of the PGA, But it's also funded by a Saudi Arabian group which has billions of dollars to throw to establish its league. And so it, of course, is trying to attract some of the best players in the world to play in their tournaments and join their league. And... Some of the biggest names have been approached and some, of, and some of these big names have actually accepted to play in this tournament, in these tournaments, in this new league because they've been offered guaranteed money. As I said to you before, in the PGA world, you have to, you have to, play, for your, you have to play for your money. You have to make the cut every week. And now, if you're one of the elite golfers, you're most likely going to play make that cut, although sometimes it happens. Everybody has a bad week. But most golfers today, the, the upper echelon of golfers, make more money from endorsements probably than they do from actual prize money. And certainly, the prize money has, has gotten more as the years go by, and golf got more popular, and certainly over the last 20 years, thanks to Tiger Woods, golf's profile has risen, which has certainly made for the opportunity for something like this new league, this LIV league funded by the Saudis, to even exist. So the PGA has certainly looked at this new league as a major threat and has suspended players who dare to play in these, le- in these other tournaments um, they suspend them. Other people, they said, you can't. You you know, you suspend them, or you can't be a member of the PGA if you play in these leagues. They f- they have felt very threatened by this disruptor. They have felt very threatened. They had a very nice little monopoly where where the same rules and and and, and it was almost on autopilot. And suddenly, here's this upstart coming in trying to disrupt the status quo. And there's been a big moral dilemma and a political dilemma and a, and a, and a cultural dilemma. If you're a golfer, an American golfer, especially in today's culture and the culture, in the cancel culture world here, where whatever you do is scrutinized by the public, thanks to social media. So the question is, some of the greatest golfers in the game today, including Tiger Woods, whether they are at their peak or they're older like uh, Phil Nicholson and Greg Norman great names but in their 50s and 60s or newcomers like who uh, have been have won major tournaments and have been ranked number 1 in the world like uh, like Dustin Johnson or or Brooks Kepka or you know major winners of 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 uh Winners of some of the majors in the last couple of years, up and comer starters like Patrick Reed or, um, you know, Bryson uh, DeChambo. But uh, other people, as I said, well known names like Sergio Garcia, uh, Lee West, Lee, um, is it Westwood? Yeah, I think. Um, Ian Poulter. A lot of names have been approached, and, and been guaranteed money. Don't have to worry about making the cut. And some have been offered, r- rumored, like in the case of Dustin, uh, Dustin Thomas, or Dustin Johnson, I'm sorry, perhaps they were offered $200 million to play in these tournaments, to, 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 to give it credibility and to establish it as a competitor to the PGA, they go after the big names and they overspend to get that credibility. So, those first people in, it's like one of those pyramid schemes. The first people in do make a lot of money because they the, the other, these, uh, the person, you know, this, this Saudi group is looking to get some instant credibility. And the only way to lure somebody is with money. And the Saudis certainly have money. And there is a number, apparently, where people can be bought. And so people like, you know, that have had these, these very squeaky clean public images, especially like Phil Mickelson, everybody's favorite, Phil Mickelson, um, said bad things about the Saudis but still agreed to play in these tournaments and take their money. Dustin, Justin Johnson, one of, the, one of the, the top players. I mean, he's number 16 right now, but he's, he's won several majors. Apparently may have gotten upwards of 100 and perhaps $200 million guaranteed. Brooks Koepka, one of the best players right now, ranked 19th, but still he's won a couple of major tournaments, one of the best players. He has decided to do that. So here we have the game of golf, which is always, I mean, as I said before, to some extent, the game of golf should be happy. The PGA should be happy that, that there's this kind of interest in it, that someone would, you know, you, you, if you're an established company, you look at this and you say, I don't want any disruptors. I want to keep things status quo. But if there's a disruptor, that means that you are in a very good sector that someone is looking at to say, that's a great sector. To get into meaning, it's doing well. So that's the dichotomy. That's the that's the irony is that golf is being threatened because golf is a hugely popular sport. Has been elevated golf for many years. Certainly, you know, and even though it had its greats like Nicholas and Palmer and, and so many who helped put it on the map. But there's no question what Tyler, Tiger Woods did for the popularity of, uh, of golf for the last 20 years. And so golf, while it was always viewed as kind of an, an elitist white male game, and still is to some extent, but it's certainly trying to be more diverse, especially there's, there's many Asian players in it. But there there's many international players as well. The, 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 the person who just won the, the, the U.S. Open is from Britain. But uh, but golf was always kind of viewed as kind of a sports-slash-hobby, a country club world, an elitist game, just like tennis was. But in the 70s, you had people like Jimmy Connors and John Macron, and Bjorn Borg, and Billie Jean King, who, who brought it into the mainstream. And now it is certainly uh, one of the popular sports in the world. And golf, too, has elevated... It's standing, so much so that another entity wants to get into the action. So uh, on a bigger scale, golf should look at this and say this is a good thing because we're doing so well, someone else wants to get in on it. But then if you're the establishment of that, you don't want anybody getting in on it. You don't want any disruptors. And so, as I said before, this is even more complicated because not only is there a, a, a competing league, but it's a competing league that is funded by a government that has some very serious human rights problems in its history, and in not even its history, in its current. And let's not forget, the majority of the bombers... On nine eleven, we're from Saudi Arabia. Let's not forget that. And some people say, "Well, wait a minute. Why are you putting you know?" So, so obviously, in this, in this world of social media, people are are, are calling these players that uh, that are going to this new league uh, just money grubbers, money grabbers uh, who are selling their souls for for hundreds of millions and 50 millions or tens of millions, whatever it is, certainly several millions of dollars, depending on the player. They're selling their soul. They're taking blood money, dirt money, dirty money, money that is, uh, that is you know given to them by a, by a government that, um, that doesn't have respect for human rights. And that's an argument. That's a legit argument. But then you have to look at the other side of the argument. Who do we as a country, who do we as, who do you, when you fill up your tank, who do you buy gas from? Where do you think it's coming from? Middle East, Saudi Arabia. So why are golfers being held to a higher standard than the U.S. government? We sell the Saudis arms. They're one of our biggest customers for arms for weapons we do business with the saudis we decry their human rights violations but we take their money as a government so why is why why are golfers held to a higher standard why do we personally once again if, you know and especially american uh, companies don't american companies do business with china china is notorious for being a human rights violator we know about the sweatshops. You know, if you have a pair of Nike's or a pair of gym shoes, they're most likely made by, you know, 12-year-old sweatshop kids in China somewhere. If you watch Shark Tank, you see that the the when the when, when the sharks want to invest in a company, they they don't want they 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 appreciate that you're that you're made in America, but they also know that that's going to add Money to your bottom line because you get cheaper labor if you go to China. So we're doing business with China and yet they're a human rights violator. We do business with Saudi Arabia as a country. So why are golfers suddenly being held to a higher standard? And that's a legitimate argument. I will add another layer though. Yes, players may be greedy. I also will take the other side of the coin, just as a to to give you the other side of the argument. If you're a golfer, you have a shelf life of how good you are going to be for a certain amount. Because even yes, there are some leagues, you know, the the senior tour, but there's not a not not as as much money there. But certainly, look at Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer of all time. His body has been ravaged by injury and other, you know, and, you know and by, by natural injuries as well as, uh, you know, injuries that he sustained on his own with a car accident and other personal emotional matters that he's had in his life. But because he was so good, he drove the ball so far, his body, he tore his body apart, his back and his knees. He's in his mid-40s, and he is a mere shadow of what he was, and, he's been, and it's been several years since then. Now, you don't have to worry about any tag days for for Tiger Woods. As I said before, he's made more money with endorsements than he ever made on a golf course. But my point is, any athlete has a shelf life, even a golfer. Even though there are these senior tournaments, they're making the same kind of money they do on the regular tour. And I don't care how good of a golfer you are, when there's a 22-year-old or a 25-year-old and you're 40, uh, that's why they made such a big deal with, 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 with Phil Mickelson a few years ago winning the Masters at 50 or 51, whatever he was. That doesn't happen. A younger athlete is just going to be better. There is a decrease in your abilities as you get old. I don't care what kind of shape you're in. Age takes its toll. And so some of these golfers are looking at, at the, the grind of this, the, maybe I don't want to keep playing golf for the next 20 years. Some of this money that they're being, they're, they're being offered here assures that, that they, they, can, they might be able to quit in five years and spend time with their family and, and, and play golf leisurely and not have to worry about their lifestyle because they've got this huge amount of money that they got for playing a few tournaments a year in this league. So they're weighing other factors, not just the PGA Tour versus a new tour. They're looking at life changes, at lifestyles, being spending more time with their family, not having to worry about missing the cut. They're guaranteed this money. Plus, as I said before, these LIV tournaments only play 54 holes as opposed to 72. So even in these tournaments... The wear and tear in their bodies will be less. They'll be playing three days a week in the tournament as opposed to four. In addition to making all this money, in addition to not worrying about I might not make any money this week if I miss the cut. Yes, no question. The money that they're getting from Saudi Arabia is a, at, at the very least a dotted line support of a country and a government that doesn't respect human rights in many ways, that executes people, that beheads people still today. So there is a, there's a moral question, there's a political question, there are valid points on either side. From the golfer standpoint, of those who accept it, some golfers that have been approached have rejected it. They have taken the moral high ground and said, I don't care how much money they offer me. I want to stay with the PGA. I don't want to take the money from the Saudis. Others have said, you know what? I want to play golf. And I want to use my talents to earn as much money as I can because my career has an expiration date on it. And an athlete, and that's just true in any kind of sport. And you know, this isn't the first time that there have been disruptors, that there have been alternating leagues that have challenged the established leagues. In the 80s, in football, there was the USFL in fact, Donald Trump owned one of the teams, the New Jersey Generals. And Herschel Walker was paid a, a, a boatload of money to jump to that league. One of the best players in, in the NFL and in college. And Donald Trump threw a boatload of money at him and got him to play for that. He ultimately went back to the NFL. That The, the USFL only lasted about three or four years in the mid-80s. But it did attract some major NFL players and coaches in Chicago here. The Chicago Blitz uh, was one of the best teams with some named players, including a named coach, George Allen, who was, who was in the Super Bowl with the, uh, with the Washington Redskins, one of the most you know perf- uh, successful coaches in NFL history, was on the coaching staff when the, the Bears won in 1963, won the championship before the, the Super Bowl was, was established. So they were paying much more than the NFL was paying at that time because they needed extra that extra credibility. In the 70s there was a was a hockey league called the WHA, the World Hockey Association, to challenge the NHL. Same thing. Bobby Hull, one of the greatest players of his day and one of the greatest players if not the greatest player in Blackhawks history. Left the Blackhawks in 1971, the WHA went after some of the biggest players of the day to give them instant credibility. They looked at the NHL and they said there's a lot of major cities in the the United States as well as in Canada that don't have hockey teams. We can make a league to serve those. It lasted for about seven or eight years, maybe almost 10 years, and several of those teams wound up getting merged into the NHL, like the Winnipeg Jets and the, the, the Quebec Nordiques and the Edmonton Oilers, who wound up being the dominant team for many years with Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky, Wayne, Wayne Gretzky was first in the WHA with the Edmonton Oilers. Wasn't even in the NHL until the Oilers came into the league in the early 80s. So some of these competing leagues haven't been bad. They haven't lasted themselves. They haven't lasted. They haven't been true disruptors because they ultimately either went out of business or did merge with the existing one. But for a while, they made a mark. They were able to attract some of the better players by throwing twice as much money than they were. Bobby Hall at the time, this is 1971, left the Blackhawks for a salary of about. $270,000 270,000 dollars a year. Now, that might sound like nothing today, but in, back in those days, hockey players were making maybe 40 or 50. So that was a huge deal. And so some of the best players, like, uh, as I said, Bobby Hall and Bernie Perrant who was a goalie, and Jerry Cheevers, who was a goalie, and Derek Sanderson and later Gordy Howe, perhaps one of the greatest players of all time at that time ultimately went to the WHA because their money was too good to turn down. Now, once again, it wasn't coming from uh questionable sources like the Saudis with their with their human rights record. But my point is, this is nothing new. There was this something called the ABA, the American Basketball Association. That's where Dr. J came from. Those several t- that league went away, but several of those teams were merged into the NBA. So there's always been disruptors. There's always been alternatives to the major leagues. And they've ultimately made their mark to some extent. They've thrown a lot of money at at some of the best players to to gain some instant credibility and, and get fans into the stands. But ultimately, the tradition and the legacy and the history of the established league prevailed. But some of those other teams did become part of that. So they weren't, it wasn't a folly, but this is so this, this new golf league isn't anything new. It's just a different take, though. And it has this geopolitical aspect to it because it's Saudi money. If this wasn't Saudi money, there'd be no problems with this. There, there, the people would be, we, the players would be running in droves because they're throwing, but if, it wasn't, but if it wasn't the Saudis, they wouldn't have that kind of money to throw around either. But here's my point, and I used, used a word. That I think is the bigger story here. Tradition, tradition, tradition. Look that up, folks. That's from Fiddler on the Roof, first song. Uh, <laughs> but here's the thing. In 2022, what this does show, even though I've tried to give you both sides of the of the coin here, the PGA looking to preserve its history and its tradition and its rules against this new league, which is throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at some of the best players in the world to defect from the PGA or to at least play in their tournaments. And, 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 and then I should mention this too. You don't necessarily, you know, the PGA has, has drawn a line in the sand saying you can't be in that other in that other league if you're in ours. We'll suspend you. Uh, interestingly enough, within about a week or so, when, when one of these players began to defect and, and take the money, the PGA now has just announced in 2023 they will have a series of five or seven or eight, I believe, no-cut money, $20 million no-cut tournaments, similar to what, now it's not these $200 million uh the, the purses are 20 million but everybody who plays will get a guaranteed set of money as opposed to the way the the normal PGA rules are that you have to make the cut some people don't you know some you know we hear about all oh, we hear about these same you know these some of the best golfers but there's a lot of golfers that don't have sponsorships don't have private jets and sometimes they don't make the cut for a month and they're paying their own way to pay to get in those tournaments and to pay for their transportation. Many of the, the elite golfers, that's all covered. They have sponsors who who take care of all that. Whether it's, you know, golf equipment, golf bags, you know, balls and stuff like that, or, you know, whatever. And odds are that even if they miss the cut, it doesn't really matter to them because they, they, They've got money in the bank, but there are some working class golfers there that 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 don't make the billions and billions and don't get all those endorsements, and they're out there every week. So, ironically, while the PGA initially was steadfast and saying, "If you you know this is the PGA, and you can't do that." As more players, and just last week, this Brooks Kepka, who was not initially in the group, but he was one of the best players, and then he agreed to go, on the heels of Kepka leaving to, to play on the, in this LIV league, the PGA now has announced that they are going to have some tournaments that are no-cut, guaranteed money tournaments, similar to this. So you can say what you will about the disruptor, but they're already changing the way the, PA, the PGA does business in a matter of weeks because they saw how real the threat was because the money was too much. The money was too tempting. And even if there were some players like Bruce Koepka, or Brooks Kepka, who initially um, was against it and talked against the LIV, but they must have come up with some major offer for him because he changed his tune and took the money. And here's a guy who's one of the leading players in the world, but he's also kind of injury prone. And he might be looking at the long run and saying, look, I, I, don't maybe ha- I don't have another 10 years in golf to be in the upper echelon, to be competitive. And here's somebody who's offering me $200 million or $100 million. How do I turn that down for my family? How do I turn that down for my family? So are they, are they greedy? I don't know. They've taken a huge risk in their lives to play this game. There were no guarantees they could make it. So they took a huge risk. And those are the spoils. And as I said before, any athlete's career has a shelf life. Not only with the aging process, but with the injury process, process which you can never predict. You might be healthy on one swing, and the next you can't swing a club anymore. In football, literally every play could be a football player's last play of his career. Every time, the, every time that ball is snapped, there is a potential for every player on that field, the 22 players on both sides of that ball, may never play another play. They may blow out their knee. They may break a leg. They may blow out an ankle. They may separate a shoulder, whatever it is. Every play, they have the potential. That's that's real. That's reality, folks. I mentioned before about a baseball player. Oh, baseball looks like it's just this pastoral game and everybody's just kind of running around in a big field. Someone's throwing a, a, a hard projectile at you at 100 miles an hour, and you've got seconds to react. It could hit you in the face. It could hit you in the head. It could kill you. That's the risk. So it's a very difficult question, but here's my point. What we are seeing, and it's just being highlighted right now because of golf, because it's happening in the golf world now, but I also think it's, it's, it's apropos because golf itself is is so based on tradition and its history. And that's what it sells, just like baseball does. But even more than that, golf, anytime you watch a golf tournament on television, that's all they show is, is the, oh, it's, it's the 150th of this. And they show the black and white footage and Bobby Jones and Arnold Palmer and, and Ben Hogan and all these players from the past and, and, and today's players. The, the, the PGA is steeped in history. And all these tournaments are steeped in history and tradition. And some of the players, and I give them credit, but they may have bank accounts such that what's another hundred million? I mean, if you're Tiger Woods and you're the greatest golfer forever, do you want to do you want to get into controversy of taking the Saudi money, or do you want to look like you're you're uh, on the right side of history and you're um, you know you've got some moral high ground, and you say no, and you've got a loyalty to the PGA and all the history of it with the Masters and, and things like that. So you turn it down. But some players are looking at it from a realistic standpoint. But here's my question, and I think it's, it's, it's more endemic of our society today. And it's not just golf, but I think it, this is, is highlighting this, if you think about it. More and more, the traditions that we have had are falling by the wayside. And they're falling quickly. And they're falling without a lot of fanfare. And in this case, there is a tradition in golf that is epitomized by these tournaments in the PGA. Whether it's a monopoly or not, this is the that was the only game in town. So everybody played in the PGA. And so there were all these amazing players and these great moments and these great shots and, and uh, these records of you know Jack Nicholas winning the most majors and Tiger Woods, you know, with the most money and, and his dramatic putts and all this stuff. All part of the golf PGA experience. Great, great legacy of tradition. And along comes a disruptor. And along come some players that say, you know what, most of these players, that are, there's, there's two kind of players that are taking this money from the LIV. There's either established players, like I said before, Dustin Johnson or Brooks Kopka uh, or uh, Patrick Reed or Phil, Mikkel- Phil Mickelson especially or Greg Norman, Ian Poulter, Sergio Garcia. They've won major tournaments in their careers. They've won other tournaments in the PGA. They've, they are a part of that history. They've won those majors. They've felt that excitement. They've achieved that goal. They've already achieved it. And now they look at the future and they say, I'm getting older, and someone's offering me generational money for, that will put my life, my kids' life, my grandkids, and my great-grandkids, and my great-great-grandkids we'll never have to worry about money. And I've already won a masters or I've won two masters or I've won a masters in a US Open or I've won all four, whatever it is. So I've got the trophies. I'm a part of the history of the PGA. I've 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 rose at moments to the top of the game in golf. I have that stuff on my shelf and now I'm providing for my family for their future and and generations of my family of the future. How do you Fault them. Yes, yes, I understand. The money comes from a questionable source. But as I said to you before, that questionable source is not isolated in the world, is not shunned by the world. The whole world does business with the Saudis for oil. The whole world does business with China for their low manufacturing. So governments and people do business with these people that supposedly are offering these golfers blood money. So are we... Also, off, accepting blood money or blood services? When we fill up our tank of gas, where do you think that gas is coming from? So are we like a, a greedy golfer? Aren't we accepting tainted products? Just like the golfer is accept, uh, uh, accepting apparently blood money? Aren't we uh, accepting blood products? We're supporting that government when we, when we fill up our tank. If we cared so much about human rights, we would say we're not buying any more gas from the Saudis. I don't know what we would do, but that's what we would say. If we cared so much about human rights as a country, as a person, you would say I'm not buying anything from China. This country would say we are not doing any more business with China. But we can't do that. We're, we, so, so if we... We can't, you know, if we're hypocrites, then, then, then why, aren't we, why aren't we being held up to the same standard we're suddenly holding up golfers to? But my point is, these golfers are looking at the traditions and saying, that's nice. Those traditions are nice. But this money is more. And they're willing to sell their names and their legacies, and their reputations. And they're turning back their backs on those traditions. And I think we're doing that in many ways as a society in this world. We are talking about defunding the police. We're seeing that that's not such a great idea. But we're looking at many of our institutions at many of our traditions, especially younger people, and we are questioning them, and we're not just questioning them anymore. We're questioning their existence. We're trying to abolish them in some ways. And we, have, we, we continue not to learn from history, but there is something to be said for moving forward and blazing new trails, but there's also something to be said for some of the traditions and the history than the legacies that have come before us. And I'm seeing at least that there's a new generation that doesn't really care as much about the traditions as what they do about today and tomorrow. They don't really care about yesterday. And I think that we lose something if we forget about yesterday. And this. Golf controversy, I think, is putting a spotlight not just on the money, not just on the Saudis, just not on the disruption of this, not just on the traitors or the betrayal or the, the questioning golfers or their motives, but ultimately those players that are accepting that money for a new league and turning their back on the PGA are sending, a, 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 I think, a bigger cultural message They don't really care about the tradition. Oh, sure they want you know, you know, they want to they they may some of these guys may have never won. For instance, the greatest in golf, the greatest tradition is probably the green jacket of the masters, right? Most of these players that have taken this money have won a master's. Or the other ones who have taken it realize they never will win one. Their time is his past. They're older. A 25-year-old is going to play is, going to, is, is a better chance to win it than a 45- or a 50-year-old. So maybe they've realized, you know what? I respect the tradition of, of the golf, but I had my moment and I didn't get it, and they look at the deep, dark, truth from mirror, and they say, "You know what? I can't turn this money down for my family." I don't know if that's right or wrong, but what I do see is the PGA has been around forever and you can argue with it and and no organization is perfect, but there is tradition there. We're looking at baseball. They're changing the rules every year. There's even a, 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 a minor league team or a professional team called the Savannah Bananas. That's almost like a Harlem Globetrotters team. That have all different rules. They have flash. Mo- the players dance before a pitch. It's it's totally crazy, and you can't buy a ticket. Sold out every show. They're taking. They're called the Savannah Bananas. Look them up on the on the um, from Savannah, Savannah, Georgia. Look it up on the internet. Google Savannah Bananas. A young owner bought the team and is completely making this a a fun family-oriented outing at a baseball game. It's not baseball per se, but people are loving it. And they're kind of taking the baseball tradition and spitting on it. And baseball itself is trying to... Is trying like mad to hold on to its tradition, but at the same time, it's trying to appeal to a younger generation with a shorter time span, who wants to be involved, who 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 doesn't appreciate a two to one game, who doesn't appreciate a three hour game, like the fans of the past did, because they have too many options at their hands. Don't forget, baseball was the was the national pastime because people didn't have other options. They went to a game on purpose to kill three or four hours. Today, people are like, I'll go to a game and I'll stay four innings. I've got other things to do. Or I'm I'm at a game and I'm going to look at me I'm going to watch my phone half the time. There's nothing wrong with innovation. There's nothing wrong with changes. But there's also nothing wrong with traditions. And I hope we don't get so consumed with the present that we forget about the past. And so to me... What's going on in golf isn't just about potentially greedy players or Saudi governments with supposed alleged blood money or a paranoid PGA that says, if you don't play in our league, you can't play in anyone else's, sort of showing the elitist kind of uh, personality that many have accused the PGA of having, but that's what happens in a Monopoly. Every There's there's good and bad sides to all the major players and all the major issues in this golf uh, controversy that, that's stealing headlines right now, but to me, the biggest one, and the one that I don't hear anybody talking about, is the abandonment of tradition. Because if you're going to play in this new league, you're turning your back in many ways on the PGA, and the PGA is about tradition. And these players are saying tradition's nice, but dollar signs are better. And I don't know if that comes from a social media culture. I don't know if that comes from a fast food culture. I don't know if that comes from a, a privileged culture. Um, entitled culture of, of of a younger generation who wants things the way they want it, who cares only about today and not yesterday. But I think traditions are slowly being either fading away, being allowed to fade away, purposely being pushed aside, or sadly just being devalued. And I think the greatness of any society is not just what they're doing now, but what they've done in the past, what got them to this point. Didn't come out of nowhere. And I think if we forget our past and become just focused on our present and future we diminish ourselves and we don't pay honor and tribute and homage to those who came before us which we should do not all traditions are great not all traditions deserve to, to, to i mean slavery was a tradition in this country right Not all traditions deserve to be hailed and not all traditions deserve to to stick around and some are not good. But here's my point. As much as slavery was a part of this country, we realized it was wrong and we got rid of it. And there is a lesson to be learned from that. We can't and we should not erase the lessons of our history And not erase the lessons of our tradition, whether they are good or bad. And sadly, I think we're chipping away at at many of those traditions. So whether you like golf or not, it looks like the tradition of golf is going to change in the next couple of years. Like every other sport has been changing. No one ever thought golf would change, but it's being forced to. Whether that's good or bad, we'll see. But I just hope that in our zest for what is happening today, we don't forsake what happened yesterday. And we hold on to some of those traditions because in many ways they define who we are, and who we can be. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Don't forget every Monday a new episode is posted at wgnradio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast, we are there. And don't forget to send a message, send a link, tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 318. I'm Jim Toronto. I am here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen. Four.